Hi all, please note, these are generally conversations between adults after the children have left the table. The language can be spicy and the subjects can get saucy. So if you're ready, so am I. You are listening to The Southern Fork, a podcast that hosts kitchen chats with some of the most interesting people in the culinary South. I'm your host, Stephanie Burt, and I'm always hungry to learn more. Let's dig in. Southern Fork is supported by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press, publishers of the American Palette book series. I'm constantly inspired and fueled by the diversity and variations of America's communities, and so it makes sense I always seem to find something interesting to read from American Palette. From Nashville food trucks to the history of Chesapeake oysters or even Austin breakfast tacos, there's always something that makes me hungry and gets me planning my next trip. Visit ArcadiaPublishing.com and search the American Palette series for a full list of current and upcoming titles. Then find your new favorite. Warning! I get even more excited than usual in this episode. Talking about veggies can have that effect on me, especially when it comes to discussing the farmers who grow them, our food system, sustainability, and sourcing local. If you read my writing, you'll see these themes pop up. But for Grow Food Carolina manager Sarah Clow, these subjects are everyday conversation. Sarah's passion is so infectious because it's directly aimed at helping farmers succeed, Not through stopgap measures or handouts, but by literally connecting them with more customers. Grow Food Carolina is South Carolina's first food hub, and its mission is to keep farmers farming. I'm all for that, especially when tomatoes, green garlic, and fresh farm veggies are involved. Sarah Clow elaborates and explains the purpose behind the plate. Welcome to the Southern Fork. Thank you. Oh, I'm excited to be here. And then, and I've been here, oh, I don't know, 50 times, I think, over your duration since, yeah. what was it, October of 2011? Correct, yep. Yes. Um, so we are sitting in Grow Food Carolina. It sounds like a warehouse because it, it is. is. Right. <laughs> and um, we are at the very beginning of what is three or four weeks of your busiest time of the year. Definitely. Right. And why is that the busiest time of the year right now? Uh, It's just seasonally. This is when everything starts jumping out of the ground. Like blueberries, tomatoes. We just started blueberries. So uh, we're just fitting. um, And so we've kind of come through the spring. The strawberries are just ending. Blueberries are just starting. Um, we'll start to get into tomatoes next week, which is really exciting. The sweet corn will start to come in, mm-hmm. and then we'll start to move into butter beans and all of those things um, that people think of kind of late summer, and the melons will start to come in a couple weeks. So this is just prime time in South Carolina. Right, right. And you started um, back in 2011 when you opened your doors that first week, you had five farmers, Yes. right? Yeah. And how many farmers do you now serve? Uh, we work with 80, close to 80 producers now. And um, so we've expanded the 
uh, inventory a little bit. When we started, we were really focused just on fruits and vegetables, um, and that's still the majority of what we do, but we've added grains um, like rice and grits and things of that nature. We work with um, some grain producers like Hanson Mills, and then we've asked, um, added dairy, so we work with which a, is huge. Huge. We work with a goat dairy. We work with a um, cow dairy, and then we've also added eggs. So um, expanding um, the portfolio has been a, a huge initiative as well. Now you actually are the unsexy distribution yeah. arm, right? With the, but middle, with the middleman, middle woman, <laughs> the middle woman, <laughs> <laughs> um, and. You work with institutions, you work with retail outlets like grocery stores, which we'll talk more about, and you work with chefs. Mm -hmm. So when you have just brought on these dairies, grains, and and um, other things, mm -hmm. is it because you heard that need? Yes, definitely. Okay. So I really wanted to only focus on fruit and veg when we started. That's where my background is, so it's also where we had our strengths. Um, and it's because that that's where we saw the biggest demand. Um, but as we've moved along, obviously, and get closer to the chefs, understand the market better, things of that nature, we've understood that these other things are in demand as well. Like Jimmy Red corn grits, perhaps. Yeah, Jimmy <laughs> Red from Anson and... Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of it as well is the producers that we work with, a lot of them not only have veg, but they may also have chickens. Um, and so it's also kind of looking at the whole farm um, and what we can do to help those farmers. So when you go out to visit a farmer, mm -hmm. you're really trying to sell the idea of grow food, right? Yes, definitely. So how about me? I'm a farmer. I'm growing, I don't know what I would like to grow. Right now I'm growing tomatoes. So what would you tell me as a farmer with my extra three Cherokee purples that I have to give away? <laughs> Actually, I don't, I'm not giving any of this right, away. Right, but I right. got some better boys I'll sell you. Okay. So what, how would you get me involved with Grow Food? So it's, um, it's a different conversation every single time. Uh, but really we kind of describe the model. Um, food hubs are a little bit different uh, than what a lot of the farmers are used to working with. Um, a lot of the farmers we work with are used to direct-to-consumer, so they've had a farmer's market or a CSA, and they've never worked with a wholesale produce distributor before, so that conversation, um, you know, we'll talk about that. And really what we're trying to do ultimately is build value um, back into the chain. So we're value chain coordinators. So we really want to tell the story of the farm and the farmer and make sure why that's important. So when we go talk to farmers, we kind of tell them why we do what we do and why it's different from what everyone else in the market is doing and how it can help them. Really, we just want to open more channels for those farmers. Mm -hmm. um, if, in other words, and in, in that means give them more places to sell their produce exactly. at a good price. Correct. So when, let's talk a little bit about the value because as a writer, um, I have written about food costs before. It's something that's important to me. It's something that has impacted my life. Um, I a few years ago made a decision that if I was going to write about food, I wanted to write about real food. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Real food, right. but also to do my best to add that real food into my personal diet. And as someone who is 
working for herself, sometimes that can be really, really difficult. That idea of paying three fifty a clamshell for blueberries right. is a little tough for me. Right. So let's talk about what that value actually means and how we are different than other countries, really, when it comes right. to this idea. Right. You're, you know a lot about that. So, um, so it's a, it's, you know, how much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, Americans over the last, you know, 60, now 70, 80 years have been given the impression that food should be cheap and plentiful. It's just something that's kind of built. It's part of the American way. Right. And the hard part about and look perfect and right and look perfect. Right. And so that has, um, steered us in some directions um, that are not now good for the fresh food system, so for the the food that's coming off of the farm, Um, because even though all of the input costs have increased, um, labor, um, soil inputs, soil itself, things of that nature, our food prices have not increased dramatically. Um, plus, you've got farmers selling blueberries for three fifty that are competing with a dollar menu at McDonald's or whatever your fast food is. Right. And so I always, when people come to the warehouse, I talk about the dollar menu, not to bag on McDonald's, you know, whatever. But who gets that dollar, right? Does the beef producer get it? Does the guy that grew the wheat for the bun get it? Does the tomato guy get it? Does the guy that, you know, grew, who gets the dollar, right? It's impossible. It is literally an impossibility. And so you've got that aspect to it is that Americans just don't pay for what their food is really worth because we've externalized so many of the costs of production. And that's, you know, another hour long conversation. Um, But if you look at other countries, um, you know, and I'm not just talking about Europe, I'm talking about, you know, all over the world, um, most countries spend, you know, 20 to 25 to 30% of their income on food, and Americans spend less than 10. But then we spend it on healthcare. You know, it's directly inversely proportionate what we spend on food versus what we spend on healthcare. And so, once again, we're externalizing the costs instead of paying what the food is worth to the farmer, um, you know, we're paying outrageous insurance bills and we're paying for it in our environmental costs and, and all of these things. So food costs are huge and showing people really what the value of true, good, healthy, fresh food is, Mm -hmm. is one of the key initiatives that we work on. So talk to me about a farmer that you've worked with who has really been involved with grow food and actually like it's transformed or kept him, you know, does somebody spring to mind or some so many, woman? yeah, <laughs> so many of them spring to mind. And you know, it's you wish you could sit down and talk about every single one because all of the stories are are fascinating. Um, so I, I think um, the Livingstons who are out in um, Cordsville. The name of the farm is Wabi Sabi, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were really new farmers when we met. They had left another um, career. They had owned a business together as a husband and wife. 
and um, they decided they wanted to farm. And so we've kind of grown up together a little bit, uh, but they have doubled production year over year in the last four years. Um, and they are good marketers on their own, um, but also really appreciate that we take care of the wholesale piece of it. They have a U-pick. They go to farmer's markets. They really are kind of embracing what local food is. And a lot of the reason why they started it is because they couldn't find it in their own community. Mm-hmm. And so now not only do they have it for themselves and their family, but their community. And I mean, it, it's amazing how far people will come from to go visit Wabi Sabi and kind of see what they're doing and how open they are about it. But, you know, we, um, the number of radish that we sold for them this year is mind boggling. I mean, we were just talking about right, radishes we just talking before about we started radish, right. to record. <laughs> and um, radishes are one of those hot vegetables right now. Um, and then it's strange. Vegetables have trends just like, like everything. everything. Clothes, like, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we're, we're kind of through the kale trend. <laughs> but I think kale is an in, in Vested in our food system in a way that it wasn't before. Right. Um, so that's awesome. So we have more people just generally eating kale and lots of different kinds of kale. Now. Exactly. Yeah. So Not just we've that. We've diversified the variety, and we're now yes. on to Swiss chard, right? You know, which is awesome. A rainbow chard. Woo! How crazy is that? Right. But I think radishes are just so fun for chefs. They are. Um, they're so fun for home cooks too. The watermelon radishes. I remember buying watermelon radish. I believe it was actually from Wabi Sabi um, at a farmer's market at yeah. some point, and coming home and slicing it. And I totally put that stuff up on Instagram yeah. immediately. <laughs> just thought it was so Postable. awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, yes, I'm right. taking a picture of right. my lunch. Right. Yeah. Um, so. We're here, like, in one of the great food cities in the South. Right. And so you do work with institutions. You do work with these retailers. And you work with chefs. Right. So I bet they come to you and say, you got anybody growing X? Definitely. Or if you had somebody growing Y, I would buy all of it. Right. What Has that happened? It has. You know, those conversations, we really rely on the chefs for feedback. Um, And really, that's kind of a chef thing. You know, the retailers and the institutions um, drive more towards, um, you know, a wider, you know, just more things that everybody's more used to that they'll recognize on a shelf or, you know. Like tomatoes, zucchini. Right. Rice. And they'll get a little crazy, you know, but um, really the chefs, and it depends on the it depends on the amount. It depends on so many different things. But the other thing that we are more than willing to do is say, chef, if you really want this thing, we're going to give you, we're going to introduce you directly to the farmer. So you guys can work directly because we want that relationship to happen as well. And then, you know, the expectations can get met. Is it a row? Is it two rows? Is it a half a row? You know, did you really think you wanted a purple daikon, but now it's a scarlet turnip? You know, like, were you looking for color? Were you looking for flavor? So, you know, we really do like to connect, you know, on the super specialty products. We'll connect the chefs to Mm -hmm. the um, restaurants. But there have been trends and there have been a lot of things that the growers would say, I really want to try X. Because, like, for instance, if I can interject, yeah. 
turmeric turmeric in this area has become something that people can grow and are growing right and actually we have a wonderful dyer and hat maker here lee magar who was using it right to dye her hat from a local farm right was it all from john that's very clever must have been i um i I only i think it was from meg oh meg okay yeah yeah Yeah. Uh so that's great too so Uh you know um yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And so, you know, then the grower's like, well, do you think that there's a market? And there's a market for a little bit of everything, right? So we work with the farmer and we're like, let's grow this much of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then if it's great, you know, let's make sure we have the pack size right. Let's make sure we can get the post-harvest handling right. Like, let's tiptoe into this. Um, and that's awesome. Because you're thinking about all of those distribution things, handling how how it's going to age on the shelf. What's its shelf life, right? Right, because right. that's really, that's a bigger discussion, and that's why a lot of heirloom vegetables left the market to begin with because we had this rise in truck farming. Right. And so things had to ride a lot longer, and so now things have to ride from South America right. to here. So that's even longer. Right. Um, but when you have a food hub, which right. this really is, that farmer can, if you already are working with them, they can call you and say, whoa, right. this has ripened a little bit faster. than now I've got too much, and I didn't sell as much. It rained on the farmer's market. Oh, yeah, when it rains, you know, during the week on Tuesdays at Mount Pleasant, I mean, the berry guys are like, we've got 30 extra cases. And so we're flexible like that. I mean, within reason, you know, and the... If we have to move something quickly, we might have to discount it and all of those things. But the most important thing about what we do is that that conversation is happening all the time. It's not just a, I'm going to go drop five chocolates of watermelon off at Grow Food. It's a, what's the variety? Where is it going? This is your price point here. This is your price point here. We think we're going to sell this percent to restaurants, this percent to retail, this percent to institutions. What's the food safety plan? What's the, you know, what's the next step? So... It's all of those conversations that are happening, you know, all the time. And I see the trucks around all the time. Truck. The, there's well, a truck. There is one <laughs> truck. Well, I must follow it around right. a lot. And, the, and there's a van. There's a truck <laughs> yeah. and a van. Or just, I think it's because I urban forage, which right. is back to that conversation that we talked about. Right. I enjoy a grocery store. It's like so my favorite thing to do. Them. I know. My best friend, Holly, is lovely and wonderful and hates grocery shopping. Yeah. Um, but I like to go, and I do about every day. I just like to kind of cruise an aisle right. and see what's down there right. or see what the produce looks like or just I just enjoy it. Yeah. It's It's nice for me. Right. So I like to get things in different places. But one thing that's been awesome is this time last year, I noticed in my local grocery store that you were delivering and I actually went by and high five the guy. He was probably like, weirdo. Right. You know, <laughs> probably. but and we loved it. he was really, right. really right cool about it but he was right right I was being really weird and creepy no, we, we love but that. then yeah then this year I see even more produce yeah. in that same grocery store right. from them so now I don't have to worry if I miss that farmer's market on right. Tuesday nights because I'm in Nashville which is lovely by the right. way um but we love it <laughs> we love it I can go to the grocery store when it's convenient for me in a place that has one open 24 hours and get local produce. Right. 
and then the next step from there. So we have to, so you're built, we're building supply all the time so we can make sure that we have enough to get on the shelves at retail. And then the next step from there is the institutions because you're at a college or um, a corporate campus, things of that nature, then it's just part of the buffet, mm-hmm. right? And right. so, who who are some of the institutions? We you work with the College of Charleston. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the the big one that we work with. We work quite a bit with the Google campus um, up in I guess their Monk's Corner. Um, so those are probably you know, and then um, smaller private schools. And we do um, you know nursery school, you know all of all the different school systems. Um, so, so yeah, so, but really College of Charleston, and that was a relationship that took a long time. Um, they have very stringent requirements, which makes sense because they're feeding a lot of folks. But then that's the, not only do you not have to go to the farmer's market, but having local food just be part of what institutions are serving that is a way that we can move the needle dramatically. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. And that needle always comes back to keeping farmers on their land farming and right. therefore keeping that land farmland. Right, productive land. Because exactly. it needs to be critical production land. Right. In it's order to keep the food shed, the food system going. Right. When we talk, you know, at the, the Coastal Conservation League and Dana's had this vision since he started the league, is of a green belt that surrounds an urban area. Um, and so there are different factors in that green belt, but one of the key factors is a productive landscape. Um, and without that productive landscape, you have to import, you know, all of these things that would generally come from that green belt. So we always share the statistic, less than 10% of what we eat in South Carolina is grown here. Which is really kind of sad, right? Because we have a lot of ecosystems to grow a very diverse food. Right. And we've got a great climate. We have water. We have all of these resources. And it's just focusing on making sure we're actually growing food in the places that we should grow it. And so, plus, it's a huge economic engine for the rural areas in South Carolina, which need that economic engine. So, you know, we spend... About $11 billion on food a year, but less than 10% of that we're spending on ourselves, right? So, you know, and Low Country Local First does a great job with all of the dollar statistics leverage, you know, when you spend a dollar here, how much more does Mm -hmm. it create? So, you know, we look at it as if we can expand that to 15% or 20%, I mean, it's millions of dollars Mm -hmm. staying in South Carolina Mm -hmm. and coming back to South Carolina. And then the potential, because we have all of this great land, resources, et cetera, to making, to have farming be a, a economic engine for those rural areas is, is really, you right. know, one of the critical pieces. Now, I know that there has been a discussion, and we could talk, you know, I can for talk days. about farms on right. days. We could have cocktails and talk right. about farms Next for time. all night. Yes. Um, but... There's been a lot of discussion on diversification mm-hmm. um, and, and like single source farms, like where they only grow corn or they only monocropping. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and so do you have a position about that, Sarah Cloud? Um, so, you know, yes and no. Biodiversity is important just for environmental balance. Right. And soil health. 
a, a million different things, right? Biodiversity, then you have different kinds of bugs. Some bugs eat other bugs. Integral pest management, soil depletion, not having to put as many inputs inputs into the soil, you know, no-till, you know, so there's all of those different um, factors that come into play. Um, and so, you know, we encourage biodiversity, you know, having farms, like I was saying earlier that, you know, grow onions and have chickens, you know, and you've, you know, this, Mm -hmm. you know, chickens fertilize the fields, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So they eat bones. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So the um, chicken tractor, right. It's a really nice, the chicken tractor is awesome. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I think that, um, biodiversity is really important. Um, rotation is really important. You know, people always ask me if I'm against big farms and I'm like, well, define big farm for me. You know, I'm like, I'm not against anything, any, you know, we need farmers, we need more farmers. Um, and what we do is specialty. So, and it's not, doesn't mean that it's like you know, a baby carrot, it just means it's everything that we eat, mm-hmm. right? And then there are commodity growers that are growing, you know, soy and corn and things that are either made into fiber or fed to animals. Uh, and so, you know, our hope for Grow Food is that we continue to grow the specialty, the amount and the acreage of specialty farmers in South Carolina because that's what we're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where that money and that needle can really move right? pretty it's, quickly. Especially for these small to mid-sized farmers that are on a lot of that land that's potentially at risk for mm-hmm. development. So small to mid-sized farmers generally, um, you know, on very critical landscapes that we want to make sure stay in production um, versus being developed. Because people forget that when you're, it's really hard to be a farmer. It's just like in a lot of other things, but it's It's amazingly difficult. And when somebody comes to you and offers you $500,000 an acre, that sounds really great. And it also sounds like a really viable option for your family and your children. And so it's not because they're anti-farming. Right. It's because they want to take care of their family in the best way that they can. Right. In a lot of ways. So you right. have to make the farming be competitive with that offer. Right. Right. And we need to attract a new generation of farmers, mm-hmm. uh, which is so important. Uh, and we need to – it's all about that value chain. We need to value our farmers and they are so much closer to the earth and what is actually going on. And um, I don't know if I've ever, I mean, personally, I have never met a farmer that doesn't believe in climate change because they're the ones that are, they see it daily. They understand what's going on. They understand how it's affecting them because they are close to the earth constantly. Um, and so they are such a vital piece of our you know, region, state, country, whatever you want to talk about. When people ask me why I do what I do, I generally tell them because I like to eat, um, which is really the first reason. But it's also because I'm nervous that regulations and labor controls and pricing and all of these things were making it so hard that I'm afraid that eventually people just won't grow food here. 
Right. It's just not worth it. It just, they can't, economically, they can't make it happen. Right. And so that's why we have to put the value back in. We have to start reconnecting the farmers to the community so people understand where the food comes, why it's important, how their health is affected, how their environment is affected, how their community is affected. And so it's putting all of those um, aspects, you know, out there for people and really making sure the farmer understands how important they are in that value chain. Mm -hmm. Well, I am jealous because you have a cooler full of <laughs> three coolers and a freezer and amazing <laughs> veggies. But now it's easier because right. I can shop at yeah. my grocery store from you, right? Easily, and we partner with other direct to consumer folks. So we partner with a company called the produce box. We partner with a company called silo and you can find these all online, but these are folks that are their businesses direct to consumer. And we make available through them all of those fabulous things in the cooler. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing uh, daikon radishes Purple. to my local right. yeah. place. Yeah. You're welcome. This is wonderful. Thank you. Yes. You've been listening to The Southern Fork. I can't wait to bring you more culinary conversations, but in the meantime, I have one question. Are you going to eat all that? <laughs>